Did you hear me, Tom? When you go in Pikeville, you don't have to go in anywhere. They do it no. in your from your car. I think they do it. Uh, yeah, a lot of places do it that way. I know UK is, is doing it. Well, they're doing it at the football field where it's open air and everything. Yeah, it's a real good setup in Pikeville. You just like go through all these checkpoints, and then they do it right in the car. You don't get out of the car, and then you have to sit for 15 minutes and wait to make sure you don't have any reactions. I might just do that. I don't know. Cause they, they got appointments go next week. I mean, everyone I know has gotten an appointment the next day after they called, after they filled out the online form. Uh, well. But when they call, you could schedule it later, I guess. Dolly just called Jad Abumrod's dad, and she hooked it up, and then she made a song about it. <laughs> vaccine. Oh, well, you could do that. Vaccine. Vaccine. Please don't wait to take my vaccine. <laughs> Got a dose of her own medicine, they said. A million dollars to make <laughs> you all not suffer from COVID-19 again. Do you think she even noticed missing a million dollars? She's got 600 of them, so I don't know. Well, that day we found that out. You you posted something, Tom, about uh, somebody who had just give fifteen million to some away to to some random thing. What was it? I forget now. I know what you're talking about, though. I just it's I mean it's impossible for us to even fathom how much money these people have. I wonder if Dolly, but it is if Dolly's like the the shepherd from the Bible who she has six hundred six hundred million dollar bundles and then. Five. She had five. She left the five hundred ninety-nine million to go find the million she gave to Jad Abramrod's dad for the vaccine. Oh my God! It's, it's powerful. Think about it. I think I've asked this before, but have we done the math about splitting all the money up? Could everybody get a meal? From what? If we just right now redistributed all the money in the U.S., just the U.S. Tanya, if we redistribute all the money in the everybody. U.S., <laughs> we'd get more than a million. <laughs> so everybody would have well more than a million dollars. Well, uh, we have a trillion-dollar military, so just that's just one thing. So think about that. Hell, I was just talking about personal wealth. Oh. But yeah, yeah. I mean, getting into the military budget is just you know I I don't really have the mind space for that today. Well, that's like, I mean, you basically have to have a therapy appointment queued up right after that. <laughs> Honestly. I, yeah, you I have one on deck. I lost you guys for a second there, but I dropped right back in when you said you better have a therapy appointment after learning about the defense budget. <laughs> vaccine, <laughs> vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Oh. <laughs> uh, I know you want COVID-19. Don't you dare come my way, COVID-19. I have taken the vaccine. Vaccine. Um, anyway, what's going on in the world today? Well, Ooh, I... Mostly erosion. <laughs> yeah, the world's falling apart. I, you know, I got... I got um, to fully cement my ascension to old man status, I've gotten into spoon carving. 
So spoon carving, you say? Spoon carving, yeah. I want to be one of those guys that hangs out at like folk festivals and craft festivals, and has like interesting thirty spoons behind him in a a goatee and ponytail, and wears extra large <laughs> button-down shirts. <laughs> so you basically want to be uh, uh, Terry? Yeah. Uh, that's O T R. That's my name, Terry. Oh, I guess yeah. I guess it does work. And TR is already your initials. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fuck. I hope we all end up really getting wow. into the sixties, and then we just quit talking here in a year or two, and then like we just see each other at Mountain Heritage Festival. Terrence has got a spoon carving booth. <laughs> Tanya's making funnel cakes, and I'm working on the <laughs> carnival rides as a carny. Excuse and me. And I'm like, didn't we running. used to? Didn't we? We go to school together or something? <laughs> Yeah, you don't. We don't remember each other. Nah. I'll be running a tarot booth. Thank you very much. Well, whatever. I'll be yeah. the old witch. Maybe I'll have a aren't funnel, mutually funnel exclusive. You can make funnel cakes no. and read tarot. You're right. I could do both. That'd probably be pretty lucrative business, honestly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'd look over at Terrence. I'd be drawing off a cigarette while I'm while I'm running the tilt a whirl, and I'd say, I think I know that fellow from somewhere. <laughs> He'll be smoking a cigarette through his trach because he's convinced himself, <laughs> convinced a doctor that he needs to have his throat removed <laughs> by the end. You're like, sir, you don't have throat cancer. And you, there's nothing wrong. Like, no, you don't understand. I, I just need it. <laughs> I'm just trying to get I out. Absolutely, do. Just trying to get out ahead of it. <laughs> <laughs> no throat can't have no cancer. <laughs> yeah, no throat can't have throat cancer. You know, oh, man. You you go to high school for four years, right? And then some of us, so, <laughs> some, give or take a few. But you know, you can run into someone you went to high school with, like just ten years later, and not recognize them or remember them. Really, we've been doing this podcast for four years. So if we did just stop tomorrow. There is a possibility that in 20 years we really could just be like, ah, I think I know them. <laughs> I would forget but Tanya's did, last name. Like, t- Tucker? We did know. We were friends for like four years before that we started the podcast, too. <laughs> That's true. Well, my mind's warped anymore. I, it's true. I, I yeah, see I people can't. I went to school with, and I'm like, oh, that's, uh, and it takes me a second to get their name. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's only been I can't 17, rem- I, 18 years ago. I can't even remember my animals' names. I'm, my mind is completely shot. Ta- if you get your brain removed, you can't get brain cancer. Just think can't, about can't it. can't get brain cancer. I mean, I really am like my mammal Dean in here yelling, Sassy, Ruby, Nala, trying to get the right name. Uh-huh. And sometimes I say, Rudy. I don't even have a Rudy. That's what my mom oh, yeah. sometimes calls me by my sister's name. Oh so yeah, my mom Aldine, she'd go down she had thirty grandkids and she'd just start shout, shouting the names, hope, hoping she got one right eventually. Oh shit. The mind, folks, it's a strange thing. Truly. It will not hold up. Well um, No way. Neither will the earth, if you think about it, on a long enough timeline. Absolutely not. <laughs> um Eastern Kentucky is underwater. You know, the thing about Eastern Kentucky that is um, interesting is that it is constantly falling the fuck apart. I mean, you know, 
people talk about mountaintop yeah. removal and strip mining, but just just the you know, there's just normal everyday shit that co- it's like death by a thousand cuts. You know what I'm saying? It's like Absolutely. this place gets terrible floods every ten years or so. Maybe about, but maybe like every five years. And there's so many ripple effects. Uh-huh. I, I, honestly, we have flash flooding every year. Mm-hmm. We do. There's landslides every year. We have flash flooding every year. This is, of course, worse than it's been in a few years. Probably. But uh, last year, when the water got high, the rats came out of the river and descended on our only grocery store. Right. I remember. And that. they literally shut down our only grocery store during a pandemic. Our only major grocery store. I start to say, you too good for food fare there, Queenie? <laughs> no. I, Priceless. I, if you remember correctly. You, you, too good, you too good to go up to goddamn, uh, what's his name? Uh, Marlo Tackett's where he used to do his Christmas thing. <laughs> well, food it ain't World. Marlo's no more. Now, no, and it ain't Food World no more. It's, what is it? The fucking dollar saver or something. But as you remember, you have Point shamed states. me for taking, for taking my reusable grocery bags in there. Uh, that's... <laughs> That's not. That's the most. That's the most. You know, like you hear people in the fashion world talk about the high low thing, where you wear like a Rolex, like a twenty thousand dollar watch with like a Hanes T shirt or something. That is like the hillbilly equivalent of that. Taking your <laughs> IKEA blue IKEA bags into the goddamn dollar saver. That, but I just want to set the record straight. That's not why we shamed you. We shamed you because the person bagging the groceries did not have your correctly arrived upon set of politics. And so you made them work harder. That's why we shamed you. I did not. I did not make him work any harder. Tanya, friend of the working class, huh? Hmm. He put, he took, the man took my reusable grocery bags and folded them and put them in a plastic bag. (laughs) He thought that they were just like, he just swapped them. They got rules. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Anyway, point, they shut down Food City for two days because of a rat infestation. Uh, Yeah, the visual of just river rats crawling out of the river just like, you know, deformed and mutant, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> God, I kind of like that idea of them reclaiming their space. Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? Like, here's the th- thing about... Here, I'm going to let y'all cue y'all in on a little something about the grotesqueries of life that you are not easily seen, but all of us have, have had vermin around us at all times throughout human history. Mm-hmm. In fact, both of you, I'm including myself, I know myself because I've trapped them in my house, and I'm strictly catch and release when it comes to mice. I, I mean, I've detailed my own battles with mice on this very show mm-hmm. about how they will get in my oven and piss and shit, and so when I heat the oven up, the whole house smells like piss. <laughs> <laughs> no. Somebody on Twitter was like. Like just every time I, I'm worried, I'm worried that I'm like this huge like free cop of contract. I always remember there's people out there worse than me because this one guy on Twitter was like, "There's a little something called hantavirus, man. You want to do that faster than you know?" And like somebody was like, "Man, it's just a mouse." And they're like, "Oh, is it just a mouse that causes your respiratory system to shut down?" And da 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 da. Then like I looked it up, of course, because my first impulse is, "Oh my God, I gotta investigate this." <laughs> Hantavirus affects like one in seventy million people, and there's never been a case in Kentucky. 
It's like usually like you get like one case a year in like Arizona or somewhere where like that specific mouse that carries it. But there's some poor <laughs> bastard out there like me that thinks that hantavirus is just <laughs> lurking around every corner. Every time. Like everybody in the world has, has had a mouse in their house. Like if it was that serious, like everybody would be dropping dead from hantavirus. Yeah. yeah. When I was a kid, my dad had a full-on infestation. I mean, at one point, oh, this is so bad. Me and my sisters <clears throat> were literally chasing mice around my dad's house with a broom. Did you name them? No. And he was too drunk to care. He did it. He was just like, get them, girl. <laughs> <laughs> get off. Get em. This is too dark. Oh, shit. Uh, we used to have a... I used to live in the housing project, so we were no strangers to mice, but I had a cat that would, like, wouldn't kill them. It would just, like, show up with a live mouse in their in her jaws and just be like, oh, hey, here, him. I found it. Brutal. I, I, I will say this. Um, there are aspects of living here that are harder than living in the desert, but I don't want to hear anybody bitch about mice until you've... Put your foot in a shoe, and a scorpion has been inside of it. Or I've done that. Holy I've done that too, fuck. buddy. I went out, and start the car on, in the morning, and have like four or five of motherfuckers on in your car. Yeah. <gasps> what do you do? Well, you <laughs> <laughs> well, you you, knock them you, off into a Tupperware, <laughs> into a piece of Tupperware. You burn your shoe, burn the car. They they get it all on fire. They get everywhere. They'll be on your <laughs> ceiling. But also, there's tarantulas. There's a lot of shit out in the desert. That's well. I would there's take also mice snakes over here. I mean, one time yeah. my little nephew went into my mammal's bathroom and there was a goddamn black snake in there, about eight feet long. <laughs> yeah, they'll climb up through the pipe sometimes. Oh yeah, just cold up, chilling. And my little nephew was like, ah. Pissed himself. God, I, I will say the snakes out west are a lot more polite than the snakes here because a lot of them have rattlers, and so they'll let you know when you're in their territory. You know, <laughs> they're a lot more dangerous. Too. <laughs> they're very much yeah. more poisonous for sure. But at least they give you a heads up, like, hey, <laughs> there are rattlesnakes here, but I've never come up on one. I've seen one. Go up, in to, my... go up to Bad Branch. I've been to Bad Branch a dozen well, times. I've been, never seen one up there. You've been dangerously close and didn't even know it. You think? I thought I figured those signs were just to like, you know, keep, <laughs> just, just. keep tourists off <laughs> on the trail or something. Because I've never saw them or heard them. No, I've, I've not seen them or heard them, but I know people well, that have reached back in there and like got them out and stuff. Yo, there is a... <laughs> Jesus. You could make an argument that we've... So, Eastern Kentucky's economy was built on what was in the ground, coal. But you could make an argument that we reached a tipping point maybe like 20, 30 years ago to where the disastrous nature of the economy itself, or the environment itself, becomes a money-making thing. For example, Hal Rogers, the congressman, you know, is known as the Prince of Pork, but most of his pork has been for <laughs> flood control projects. And so if you live in an area that's constantly falling apart, then you get a lot of money for it. And you get contracts and, you know, good old boys get to, like, create four jobs in a community building flood walls. But another example is, speaking of Bad Branch, how those m missionaries from Pennsylvania came down here, like 30 of them, and went up 
<laughs> tried to go up to High Rock in the middle of February and got stranded up there. And mo- many of them <laughs> yeah, got frostbite and got fucked up. And um, I remember the town for several weeks afterwards, people talking about how big the hospital bill was for that entire fiasco. Like, it, multiple people in Whitesburg ate off of that single hospital bill for months. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. We are. It's like a uh, a catastrophe economy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Whenever bad things happen, everybody eats. That's right. It's pretty fucked up. Well, honestly, that that can bring us back full circle because that that incident with all them kids from out of town literally made the Boston Globe. <laughs> like that story traveled all the way to Boston. Remember, Sylvia's dad sent it to yeah, her. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not often that people in. The United, the contiguous United States, get frostbite. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Very and yet, often. not and if, yet, especially in a climb that's like relatively mild compared to you know, like say Minnesota. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and also there's been all. Well, I was trying to bring us back to the flooding because no one even knows half the East Kentucky's underwater right now. But I will, I will add that there was there, there became so much lore about it because it was all about making fun of them. I mean, they literally maybe almost died, and all and every story I've heard <laughs> is just making fun of them. Everybody's I like, heard, <laughs> I literally, I heard that they panicked so bad they burned their jackets. Oh damn! Oh my god! <laughs> I feel pretty bad. I mean, I don't even know if it's true. I, I don't feel bad about that too. But it's like the funny thing about that is if that happened to any of us, like. Like, I feel like Dude, we could find I, our way back to the trail. You know what I'm exactly. saying? You just walk downhill, motherfucker. <laughs> I have literally climbed out of a dark mountain twice, and it was horrifying. I was terrified, but I did it. You find a, a stream, something, you just head downhill. You just start following a stream, basically, and you yeah, will eventually I, come to civilization. Yeah. Daylight and dark. I've climbed out of many sticky situations through a creek. Yeah. If you can find mm-hmm. water, you're good. You're straight. <laughs> but, I mean, especially up there. But there was like, do y'all remember around that time, there was like a never-ending stream of like bad, bad things happened at Bad Branch. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. Remember like people falling? I mean, I don't want to like be flipping with that either. You know what I mean? But like people were like getting fucked up up there, man. It was like. Yeah, it's true. God. I mean, but you, I mean, I'd say that's that's the case with any, like, big waterfall, like, big attraction like that that's not, uh, you know, in any other place, they would turn that into, like, a wild park, and it would be, like, around the, around the clock surveillance, you know? Right. Yeah. And there's just never any, there's never anyone up there. There's no authority. There's no, there's literally a book at the entrance that says, hi, sign your name. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, so, Eastern Kentucky, I mean, there's a lot of photos that keep coming, like, there was at least two different counties I saw people stranded and had to be essentially lifted out by helicopter, because they were Yeah, they were, they have both evacuated people from hospitals via boat and taken new nursing staff into the hospital via boat. Yeah, I saw At one story point. where people yeah. were, um, where vaccines almost got ruined because of the flood. Oh, my God. People were having a vaccine. Well, that'll be the only way we make it into national news, is if we let a bunch of fucking vaccine shots float away. <laughs> right. Right. Can you imagine? God. That's what we need I'd... to do is get, us on, get on a damn John boat and just go around vaccinating everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, 
Y'all, I really, I mean, you you know that I have a pretty high baseline of anger at all times anyway. And I'm working on it. I, I realize this to be uh, a, something that is only hurting me, really. And I'm working on it. But um, this week, my anger has reached levels that even I could, didn't understand. <laughs> I have just like, I've just been sent, sent fucking many times into pure blind rage. And honestly, I, I would sit just seething, thinking about things that we've talked about on the show in the past, all coming to a head this week. As Terrence said, every new picture or video or image that came out of the floods. I mean, to get my vaccine this week, I drove through standing water in three separate places. Yeah. It's just so apocalyptic. Um, but... I want I, what what has sent me the most and has probably been truly triggering a word I try not to use because Tom makes fun of me. But <laughs> like seeing trailer parks flooded is a very particular pain because I grew up in a trailer and on at least three occasions I had to as a child look around my room, decide what I liked the best and put it in the top of my closet. Yeah, that is a very that is like a very difficult thing for a kid to do when you when you like have been told, go put whatever you don't want floating away in the top of the closet. And you just have to look around your room and make a very quick decision. Okay, I'm stuffing all my stuffed animals up here. My favorite red shirt, (laughs) this coloring book, like my journal, like what's it going to be? And then you put some shit on your back, and we've literally had to hike up the mountain behind my house over the ridge so that my aunt could come pick us up. Like, and I've done flood relief many times in Kentucky and West Virginia. It is brutal. It's disgusting. Um... I mean, it's it, and it's it's literally feels like just disease has washed up into your house. Yeah. Is how it feels <laughs> like it's the na- floodwaters are disgusting. They're yeah. so nasty. Um, and to watch these, what we've talked about on the show before, what I have said before, is that trailer parks are almost always in floodplains. They always get it first. Yeah, and. Right. And they have, they're always run by slumlords. Uh, there are no good owners of trailer parks, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. Um, I mean, some parks, everyone owns their own house. Like, my sister lived in one where everybody owned their own place, um, which is pretty good. But um, Or the one in Malibu where all the celebrities live in, the really nice ones, drive golf carts around. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll live there one day. But just to see these trailer parks, and they're all, you know, we've seen this too, they're all called like Lakeview, Riverside, uh, Waterfront, right. because they're in literal fucking flood. flood yeah, like places that get easily flood. Yeah, and it's just to like make it, you know, it's just a marketing to like make it sound nice. I mean, we literally now have pictures of Lakeside Trailer Park signs, co- you know, almost covered in water. Well, there's a reason why, like, rich people live in high places, you know? Like, literal high places. Like, you always just, like, in Hazard. They're Mm -hmm. all up at the highest place. In Jackson, they're all up in the highest place. So, I mean, that's literally why they they started. I don't know when this started. Maybe you all do, but... 
they started making their reclamation plans like upscale fucking gated communities on strip mines and were trying to literally turn all these strip mines and they have to there are some strip mines hazard is one and they've tried to do that over at raven rock here in letcher county into literal gated rich communities yeah they have it right now there's people there's houses yeah. out on the golf course yeah yeah absolutely and they almost all have problems with settlement <laughs> settlement underneath Ima- the house. imagine that yeah <laughs> uh, imagine but yeah imagine it's kind of like when uh like the segregated schools in eastern kentucky like all the black kids like learn latin and physics and all this stuff and they all went on to like get phds but like they thought that the white people thought they were doing themselves a like doing those black kids a disservice by sending them to the segregated schools and stuff and then it turns out that they were the ones going to the bad schools it's kind of the same thing it's like oh we're going to take we're going to have this we're going to take to the high ground and we're going to have these little gated communities and stuff and they strip jobs and now it's like oh wait (laughs) my house is sinking three inches a year (laughs) right Jesus fuck. So the other thing about rich people is oftentimes they're incredibly fucking stupid, which lends some credence to the idea that like you actually don't have to be very bright to amass a fortune. Oh, you kind of have to be right one time. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> or or birthed by someone who was right one time. That's more like it. Uh, that's the the better path. Yeah. Um, I don't know, y'all. I mean. Do you do y'all remember the? Um, I know you do. We just talked about it the other day the episode about uh, <laughs> where we've talked about what people go to public meetings over, uh, and it's almost always related to water. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> people literally just want erosion control. That's the number one thing, <laughs> Eastern Kentucky. If you had a comprehensive plan for erosion control, you'd rule for a thousand years in Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> And a, a friend messaged me after that episode and said, I think we're going to make buttons that say leftists against erosion. <laughs> I mean, and now I wish we had. That is ultimately what politic, local politics is. Fixing roads, installing culverts, and control, controlling erosion. Listen, I'm pro-gravel, I'm pro-culvert, and I'm anti-erosion. That's all you'd have to say, and you would effectively end the Friends of Coal era in one fell swoop. (laughs) Oh, y'all, do you remember when Southwest Virginia flooded so bad about 10 years ago? I think it was maybe like 2009. Do y'all remember this? It It was this bad, if not worse. Washed out a literal entire town. Gone. Still not there. Yeah. Y'all remember? They had to move the whole town of Hayside. Uh, yeah. Because it was flooding yeah. so bad. Um, apparently, they had a plan to move. Uh, there's been a plan. They've already like built some roads up on a higher place. Uh, maybe Paintsville? One city in East Kentucky, they've had a plan to move, and then they ran out of money, and now it's flooded. Oh, it was Martin. Martin. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, anyway, when I I was doing flood relief in West Virginia back when that flooded so bad, it was, I think it was 2009, but um, it was obviously that that was a direct causation of the coal highway. They were building this like King Coal Highway or whatever. Yeah, Coalfields Expressway. Yeah. Yeah. Coalfields Expressway. And they were mining along the route, whatever. And so they had just stripped so much land for this above all these places. Um, And so it was very obvious why these people were flooded. And I shit you not, 
Massey went around and put signs in yards. They went and dropped off like bottles of bleach and shit. And if in order to accept the supplies they were giving, which didn't amount to a hill of beans, they put up signs in the yards that said like, thank you, Massey, for supporting our community. That's disgusting. <laughs> Literally, I've got a picture somewhere. I'd have to go. I don't even know where I find a 10-year-old picture at this point. But literally flooded out houses with fucking like campaign signs in the front yard thanking Massey. Just the worst people. It's just, uh, it's unfathomable. Yeah. So my rage is just rich, unprecedented uh, levels this week. Yeah, I mean, it's not natural that... I mean, the thing about floods is they're mostly man-made. I feel like... But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, like, some hydrologist or something like that listening to this could be like, you don't know anything about what you're talking about. But I... Because there are natural floods. I mean, sure. Um, it's a reason well, why spring there's... Springtime in the mountains, you're going to have some flooding, yeah. generally. You know, with the rains coming. But, like... Things like mountaintop removal, coal mine, all this stuff, turn it into from like, you know, certain, like inconvenient certain places, you know what I mean, into like a much bigger problem. And also we like build all of our homes close to the river is like, you know, that's another thing. It's a flat land. Well, we've yeah. divert the, the Kentucky River that goes through Whitesburg has been diverted. It's not in its original. Um, right plane or whatever so i i mean and it's the same thing in pikeville i mean they moved a whole goddamn mountain in pikeville it was like the largest (laughs) amount of land that had been moved since the panama canal (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean and there's some stat about the amount of fresh water in kentucky uh, it's the it's got the most freshwater waterways than any other state with the exception of alaska right so they're the most mileage of fresh water Water the conditions are ripe, buddy. <laughs> yeah. They are ripe for yeah. goddamn disaster. Yeah. Well, um, well, so, you know, there's a, we, we can put a link in the episode description that people can donate to if they want to donate to uh, mutual aid. Um, and flood relief if yeah and i just want to point out that we are one in many of total catastrophes going on across the country i told terrence this yesterday um when i did yoga this week i have i do yoga with a handful of other people on zoom once a week and the girl who leads it a friend of mine leticia lives in houston texas she just came off two weeks without power and water and another girl, there was only four of us, and three of us are literally living in a dystopian novel. Another girl on the, in the yoga, um, who's doing yoga was is in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. She ain't had water in weeks. Just absolute fuck, just fuckery across the board yeah. here. Well, we, um, we've been failed. That's what it is. I mean, it's like, and we need to, like even be more mad about that than we are and i'm not talking about like us or like you know people online or anything i mean like just people in general need to understand it's like 
the conditions you face are not your fault. Like you are like, you know, you are sort of at the mercy of like the time and circumstances and place that you're born into and like the leadership of that place. And that's like one of the great lies this country is like one of the greatest tricks the devil ever pulled is making us believe that like personal responsibility is like the end all be all to like the results in life and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's just, a pet we know it's bullshit. You know what I mean? We know it's bullshit. Yeah. With a big old B. Yep. No, um, no, you're right. Uh, I mean, well, so let's, uh, Let's pivot to something a little more lighthearted. Cheery. <laughs> um, yeah. We were talking about landlords and slumlords and um, people who make their money in really stupid ways. Stupid people who make their money in really stupid ways. Um, so I have something from the Los Angeles Times. It was published in December. It kind of made the rounds, but I don't think it got the full attention it deserved. So, we're going to file this one in the deeply diseased column. Because it's, uh, it's pretty diseased, but there's some good shit yes. in here. So, Los Angeles Times. This capitalist commune is trying to cure L.A.'s loneliness. Plus, there's free coffee. God damn it. <laughs> L.A. is lonely? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Are you fucking out of the gate? I'm so angry. <clears throat> well, I mean, like we're dealing with the. I think loneliness is a problem everywhere, really. I mean, I mean, Los. I mean, if you're talking about the the big cities, I mean, Los Angeles is pretty like. It's like one of the I, few big cities you have to have a car to get to like get around in. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's so spread out. I will say that living in Austin. One of the main reasons I left living in Austin was incredibly lonely. I've, I felt much lonelier living in a city than I do in a small town. Absolutely. I, I guess I could see that. I guess my knee-jerk reaction is just that there's so many fucking people. I mean, a woman from New York argued this with me one time, and I got really pissed that her son, who lives in New York City, has a harder time dating than I would have in a rural place. Shut the fuck up, lady. But it just feels like there's so many people, like, and and in a place like L.A. and New York, it feels like you can literally get anything you want. I mean, obviously, uh, you have to have money, but it's like there's just access to fucking everything is how it feels. In the city, I don't live living in a city is like, to me, I mean, it's my experience living in a city is, is when I was in Las Vegas, it's like water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, I really just hung out with like the people I lived with. You know what I mean? And like, I didn't really like know how to like, I mean, it came, you know what I mean? I, I worked places and then you meet people and then like, it kind of comes together for you. But like, I understand that. I don't think that's well, a, I, I, a dumb instinct. I mean, even Tokyo is like one of the most densely populated cities in the world. And didn't Japan just like, create like a loneliness minister or something like that yeah i think that one of the great or great in the sense like the scale of it i think one of the biggest effects of capitalism is this sense of profound loneliness and that you're alone in a in a increasingly chaotic and insane world 
because most of our vehicles of collective action just don't exist anymore. You know, people don't join political parties like the Communist Party. They don't. They don't have unions. You know, there's there's social clubs and shit, sure. But uh, and I'm not saying that we're all alienated in the sense that like none of us have any friends or anything. I, I just I do think that that there is something about capitalism that makes makes us lonely it disconnects us from collective action i guess and it disconnects us from a larger sense of meaning or anything like that yeah you know what i mean yeah. I, th- I think i think too it's like our lives get reduced to like I, and i found this true of myself so when i say this i'm picking on myself but i found my life being reduced to like I need to buy these sunglasses or these shoes or this thing or like have this experience to feel um, complete or to feel connected. like connected or to also just to feel like just to feel something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. And that's like and that's like that's like exactly like you know. And I'm not like against like having nice things or whatever buy nice things or whatever but it's like but it's like those things are not like what connects you to some like unifying purpose that gives you some meaning or or at least or at least a source of hope or you know uh, a reason for being well I guess that makes a lot of sense. I spend one day in New York City and I'm tore all to pieces because no one smiled at me <laughs> no one's acknowledged my existence in any way well uh, let's say you do live in one of these cities and you are lonely. There's a solution for that. So there is a capitalist commune <laughs> in L.A. trying to cure L.A.'s loneliness. Wait, hold on. It says ca- they call themselves a capitalist commune? This is the, that's the title of the piece. I would imagine that's kind of an editorial choice by the um, publication itself. Oh but, but you, as we will find out, they do kind of operate on the idea that they are a capitalist commune. Um, So let's dig into it. On a Sunday evening in late September, with wildfire smoke hanging in the air, a few dozen people gathered in the rooftop kitchen of a Hollywood apartment building called Treehouse for their weekly communal dinner. The building's co-founder and chief executive, Prophet Walker, stacked plates and cleaned up cutting boards behind the tiled kitchen island, while the building's designer, Sean Nib, or Knib, I don't know how you say it, Manned the pans and turmeric chicken sizzling, sizzling on the stove. The rest Hungarian, of the residents huh? drank wine. <laughs> the rest of the res- residents drank wine and chatted as they waited to eat. A woman with the vibes of an Instagram astrologer waved high at a man who seemed to leap from a Vineyard Vines catalog. one wall of the kitchen was open to the deck outside but people were squeezed together at small tables nobody was wearing a mask it looked like a scene from the past or from the future these people weren't friends at least not before they moved in they weren't family save a few parents with their children they were co-livers a building-sized pod in the time of covid in a housing experiment with grand ambitions Co-living isn't a new idea or even a new target for tech money. Startups like Common, Bungalow, and We Live, the co-living division of the smoldering office space Hindenburg WeWork, have been raising venture capital and carving up apartment buildings across the country in recent years. 
Most sell rooms to renters as a cheaper option, a nouveau SRO with foosball in the laundry room and catered taco Tuesdays on the patio. Hell yeah, baby. (laughs) Treehouse is taking a different tack. (laughs) Walker and co-founder Joe Green, a tech entrepreneur in the Facebook orbit and big booster of psychedelic research, <laughs> say they want to create the togetherness of intentional communities like co-ops, communes, or Burning Man without the anti-capitalist politics or freaking cu- cuisine. <laughs> so this is it. This is this sums it up. Um, this, I mean, this sums up the, the overall thesis uh, here. In an era when luxury is synonymous with isolation, private jets, private islands, Uber Black versus Uber Pool, they're betting that real community can be packaged as a premium, an amenity that keeps atomization at bay as surely as heated floors banish cold feet. So what they're selling here is community. They are packaging it as a commodity and selling it at a premium. Um, so that's the capitalist part of the capitalist commune. So right at the gate, that's pretty bleak, right? That's, uh... Yes. I mean... <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I mean, this feels strangely familiar um, to the workplace where you live and work in uh, Sorry to Bother You. Right, right. It is kind yeah, of it's like... Where a- I- Go ahead. I was I didn't know this. I was I was listening to a, a internet radio show this morning. They were talking one of the guys that hosts it was talking about um he used to work for Adult Swim in Atlanta and they were kinda like the red headed stepchild of like the Ted Turner Empire. You know, 'cause Ted Turner like owns everything in Atlanta. Right. And like they said that they had like this Turner campus that like Ted Turner himself like lived in with them. And it was like cultivating wow. like a like like all of his like properties and everything had their offices there, like the Atlanta Braves and that is so weird. And WCW wrestling before it folded and all that stuff. I mean, do you think it's because these people once they reach the height of their careers, they do feel like they are profoundly lonely and they don't have anybody to really connect with. I mean, that is the case with one of these founders, as we will see. But of the founders of Treehouse, the capitalist commune. But I think that that is partially why. I mean, extreme wealth breeds isolation just by the very nature of it. It is like you you can't be a member of a community and also be exploiting most of the members of the community. It just doesn't work that way. And so, yeah, and think that you're going to engender some kind of goodwill. And it's like. These people deserve our scorn, but we also have to engage the fact they are profoundly lonely and like. If you want to talk class consciousness, there's nobody that's more class conscious than billionaires, than super wealthy people. You know what I mean? Like that. God damn, that's true. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get into the meat of how you would get into the treehouse commune. <laughs> Is it very exclusive? <laughs> it's kind of exclusive, yeah. Rotating committee... Oh, I'm sorry. Rotating committees of residents determine which rental applicants get approved, and the process involves more checks of vibe than credit. <laughs> oh my God! That's, they have checks and vibe, uh, vibe checks. Vibe checks, baby. Professional vibe um, checker. Leases come with signed 
commitments to community values. And instead of simply showing up for scheduled events, residents are encouraged to create their own classes and shindigs for the rest of the building. So you have to sign a lease that essentially you agree to the community values. Um, only 10% of the unit. This is great. This is a good line. Only 10% of the units are set aside as affordable for low-income tenants, but all are currently occupied by poets. <laughs> oh my. All of the low-income are poets. Uh, this 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 can't be real. Come on. Oh fuck! I I, I lost it at that line. Um. That's the rooms are goddamn good. <laughs> God, it's listen like, to how it's much like, one of these rooms like... costs. Go for it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. I was just gonna. I was just. I was just gonna say, like, it's funny that like in these people's minds, like, who are the poorest motherfuckers I know? Oh yes, these guys that like all of our friends that spent two hundred thousand dollars to get a PhD in poetry. Right. Right. Not um, like real people on the streets or anything like that. <laughs> right. Or even just working people. The rooms are pitched at the upper middle of the rental market in central LA, with rents starting at $1,715 a month, almost $2,000, plus a $210 fee to cover utilities, housekeeping, free coffee, and Sunday dinners, yoga classes, and other events. So we're talking $2,000 a month for... For, as you will see, they'll, they'll tell you what you're getting for your $2,000 a month. Specifically, they're pitched at people like Kimberly Archer. When Archer left Facebook for a high-ranking job at Snap in May, the 38-year-old marketing executive could have rented an upscale pad with ocean views or found a spot up in the hills. But she wanted to live with other people, pandemic be damned. Before leaving Oakland, she googled co-living space. A few weeks later, she moved into one of Treehouse's units. Really just a bedroom and a private bathroom. <laughs> oh, my God. 2000... They don't even have kitchens? They share a kitchen. Oh, hell no. $2,000 a month for a bedroom and a bathroom and a shared kitchen with four other sweetmates. <laughs> God oh damn. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, there has to be better ways than this. Uh... She shares a kitchen with four other sweetmates and shares the common spaces of the building with the rest of Treehouse's 40-plus residents. There's the lobby cafe, or, yeah, lobby cafe, laundry room slash art studio, screening room slash Japanese-themed bar, two-story library curated by the resident librarian, and on the roof, a garden, a deck, the communal kitchen, and yes, a little treehouse wrapped around a 100-year-old olive tree shipped in from Sacramento. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, for ten thousand dollars a month <laughs> you imagine paying ten thousand dollars a month and having to share a kitchen i i, I can't i can't even fathom seeing ten thousand dollars in a month well this to be fair it's fun. two thousand but that's quite a bit two thousand a month 000. i mean but what you're paying two thousand what you're paying for, though, is um, it, you're paying for the premium experience of having other people around. These people are profoundly lonely. It's just, there's this, this, the story at the heart of this is ultimately very sad, in my opinion. Um, it, it, it is... 
listen, as a man that used to belong to a college fraternity, I'm no stranger to paying for your friends. <laughs> but uh, there's something there is something profoundly sad about this, and like uh, I don't know. I'm feeling weird feelings for people we should. <laughs> disdain I feel like you know what I mean I, I hate that well some of them I do oh you're feeling sorry for them some of them I do but um the owners I'm I don't really have any sympathy oh for. no no um yeah, who cares so this is the next section <laughs> the next session is called United by Loneliness so Walker and Green we met them earlier these are the two that started the Treehouse Capitalist Commune Walker and Green make an odd couple of utopian housing entrepreneurs. What brought them together was loneliness. Walker grew up in Watts, broke someone's jaw in a fight over a disc man, and went to Ironwood State Prison on an assault and robbery charge when he was 16. He got out and got into Loyola Marymount University, then worked on some of LA's splashiest real estate projects as a developer, attempting a run for state assembly in 2014. Green grew up in Santa Monica and went to Harvard, where he found himself sharing a dorm with Mark Zuckerberg. What? <laughs> oh, fuck. You buried the lead. And he's, he's, like, very nostalgic about his time living with Mark, so he wanted to reproduce that. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, um, he declined a chance to quit school and go work at the social network Facebook, but managed to start a series of success- successful tech companies of his own. In 2013, he teamed up with Zuckerberg to start Ford.us, a lobbying shop that used tech money to push for immigration reform, among other issues. By the time Green and Walker met in 2016, both had reached similar conclusions. They had found success, but felt more alone than ever. I never experienced lack of community until I made money, Walker said. He's the one who who grew up in Watts and went to prison. Growing up in Watts, he said, he felt like the child of everyone on the block. Prison, if anything, was an even more intense experience of closeness with his neighbors. Um, After his run for office, he started thinking about how L.A. bred loneliness, the skyrocketing rents, the neighbors who never met, the way that markets and neighborhoods in the city segregate people by race, class, and interest. I mean, yeah, those are all true diagnoses. I'm not sure that the solution to them is a capitalist commune. Right, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like, like you've 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 successfully diagnosed a lot of these ills, and yet the thing that you've went with is like, let's form a community dedicated to the ideology that perpetuates this these things we hate. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but for Green, on the other hand, he's the one who went to Harvard and grew up in Santa Monica. For Green, loneliness struck when he was on a spiritual sabbatical following the self-described failure of his lobbying efforts. Alone with his thoughts, he realized he had been happier as a kid, first in his Santa Monica neighborhood with friends up and down the block, and then at Harvard's Kirkland House, where undergrads lived in separate rooms but shared common space. In 2016, mutual friends introduced the pair at the opening of Local. I don't know how you say that. A burger stand in Watts started by celebrity chefs with the mission of bringing healthier fast food to low-income neighborhoods. Walker had helped build the restaurant with a construction crew drawn from the neighborhood, and he says he was looking for a new project that captured the same feeling of building community and using physical space to actually do so. 
They hit it off, but Treehouse wasn't fully born until Green went on a silent meditation retreat a few months later. I spent several Ooh, days being... Big funny. rich people shit right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, unlike most living comp- companies... Oh, I'm sorry. Unlike most co-living companies, which reconfigure existing apartment buildings, Walker and Green saw that they needed to build from the ground up to get the mix of public versus private space they wanted. To maintain the vibe of the building, potential renters have to go through an extensive application process with other renters serving on the application committee. Everyone has to sign a commitment to the building's core values. Being kind, present, curious, candid, and responsible as part of their lives. Uh, <laughs> let me live, man. <laughs> Imagine having the sign, at least, that says you'll be kind, present, curious, candid, and responsible. Oh, Absolutely God. not. <laughs> Um, the building shares a slack for internal announcements, which also plays host to the occasional call-out and heated conversation. They're they're calling people out in the capitalist communes too. <laughs> they're calling on me in, Tom. It's calling on me in. Oh man! To keep conflicts to a minimum, residents have set up a regular series of conversations called tree talks where the community values are often invoked to keep things kind and candid when residents are being less than responsible. Dude, this is... I didn't understand. I had to read this sentence multiple times. A resident who washed their dog's clothes in one of the shared machines was a source of building-wide tension. (laughs) What? Okay. (laughs) Their dog's clothes. (laughs) I mean, as someone who puts sweaters on their dog, I'm still very confused. (laughs) <laughs> I had to read uh. the sentence a few times myself, personally. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, now, after a tree talk, a washer and dryer set is earmarked just for items that might have pet hair on them. Um, wow. For Green, the Harvard guy, Santa Monica guy, co-life has only been a temporary change of pace. When the pandemic first swept over California, he was staying in the spacious Beverly Hills house that his dad grew up in, which he said was, in certain ways, the peak of what Americans think they want. But Beverly Hills got lonely. He moved into a room at Treehouse, where residents had created a building-wide bubble of viral trust after a few nervous weeks that had left the common areas mostly empty. Immediately, Green said, he could feel his isolation melt away. He could post on Slack and 10 minutes later have a Settlers of Catan game going on the roof. It felt so much better because I had people to be around. Still, after several weeks, he returned to his primary home in San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tried. (laughs) I like this guy has a house in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Jesus. They got that escape button anytime. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Catch you. Yeah, you're right. They have an, You're right. No, he has a, a house in Beverly Hills, San Francisco, and the treehouse. I'm sure he's got more. Um, it's fucking amazing, dude. Uh, let's see. So the next section is kind of long, four paragraphs, but just hang with me. It has a payoff. Between its opening in fall 2019 and the beginning of the pandemic, Treehouse had rented only a third of its rooms. In the months since, the building has nearly filled up. The pandemic showed us, if nothing else, how important community and proximity is, Walker said. We have all these massive online communities, and that's, like, cool, cute. 
but people in quarantine in New York and Italy still felt compelled to sing out their windows with their neighbors during the first lockdowns. Walker reached for a painful memory from his teenage years in Watts to underscore the point. I watched my best friend get murdered in front of me, Walker said. That should be like a death knell to anyone's psyche, but he credits the neighborhood with saving him. Once again, damn, that's fucked up, man. I mean, there are, we need to create a world where that doesn't happen. But here comes the next part. The entire block came outside, Walker said, and then when they saw what happened, every single person just about hugged me. Like, you're gonna get through this. This sucks, but we've got hope for you. Um, his hope for Treehouse is that it can build that kind of neighborhood, where one where everyone knows your name and comes together in tough times, but for people like him who left their neighborhoods behind. And, of course, he hopes that it can make a lot of money at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> It just there so it happens is. that through <laughs> it just so happens that through density arbitrage, through a host of laws, through real estate financials, the treehouse business model is an incredible investment. Walker said, "But truly, we're trying to build a community." And that's it, everybody. Um, I I had to, I had to include that last part, even though it's not funny and, and quite sad. I had to include it because it just is a perfect demonstration of how. The system does bring breed loneliness. It does destroy community. But there's always someone who is trying to make a profit off of that very dynamic, that very situation. You know what? That is true. It's like I kind of had like a – I mean, I know this is like not treading any new ground or anything like that. But I I was thinking about like the flooding in eastern Kentucky last night and how, like, all these vultures of, like, the sort of just transition moment, like, have exploited people's misery to, like, like the like the whole thing of Appalachian Harvest, it exists because of, like, people's misery. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. They piggybacked on people's misery to get somebody else to pay for them a central like a, a industrial sized greenhouse operation for the day like it's under the guise of tomatoes and like all that bullshit but really we know it's like they just want the infrastructure in place for when like cannabis is legalized here you right know what i mean exactly and it's like that exists everywhere like that's not a uniquely appalachian thing or anything like that there are people that are like trying to see because capitalism teaches us it's okay to look at the world's problems, figure out what a solution to the problem is, and then like go innovate that and try to make some money off that. And because you have uh, presumably alleviated somebody's problem that is acceptable in that system. The problem with that is like like if you're some like Uber dipshit like that's one thing, you know what I mean? Like, like it is fucked up. Like you're fucking cab drivers over, and you're basically creating like a solution to a problem that doesn't even exist to begin with. What you're right. trying to do is get from to and fro cheaper. You know what I mean? That's like the, that's the issue. But like there is a whole other, and that's slimy enough in itself. But there's a whole other layer when you're like literally exploiting people's loneliness and feelings of isolation and insecurity to pad your own pockets. I. I there's a different, I don't know, there's just a different layer there to me than just like, oh, this is just like me innovating and fixing a problem. No, it, I mean, it, it, I mean, and to take it a step further, it breeds further loneliness and alienation. And more importantly, 
What it does is it reinforces your position in the system as an individual and pushes, pushes you away from collective solutions to political and social problems. And so if all of these right. problems can be fixed with technocratic, um, innovative solutions, then it means that we don't need politics. It, de- it means that we don't need class struggle. It just means mm-hmm. that you have to have someone with political will, someone with a little bit of capital, and someone with a little bit of technocratic and technological expertise to solve the problems. And that just creates more and more problems. And so it gets worse and worse until before you know it, your entire fucking region is underwater because nobody could ever, you know, just stop saying, well, I mean, just just stop and say, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, you know? Yeah, it's, it's you know, I've, I've been thinking about that in relationship to, like, leadership and how, like, I'm, and I'm not saying, I'm not pining for a return to yesteryear or, or anything like that, but, like, people like Lyndon B. Johnson, for example, or whoever, and I'm not praising LBJ, okay? Like, I, I know the guy was a butcher, too, and, you know, the whole situation, Southeast Asia and all this stuff. Um, but like, there were politicians that pre-technocratic era like knew how to find power, leverage power, and knew how to engage in politics. Now, what that looks like varies from you know leader to leader and whatever, whatever. Leaders now have abdicated that responsibility and put it on. Really, like when people are praising the market, they're really just praising like people like the guy that started this. Like, and it's like an outsourcing of I don't have any. I only have ambition. I have no answers, no law of governing, no understanding of how to solve your problems or make your life better. But there are these algorithms and these minds behind them that do, and so they've like just sort of like outsourced their responsibility as leaders to these people. And you don't really have a thing, a such thing as politics anymore. Like we're essentially being governed by like Instagram stores. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying, though? Oh yeah, God. I think you're right. The example of the just transition is a perfect example. I mean, if you look at the just transition. I mean, the just transition at the end of the day was ultimately an, an alliance between environmentalists and I don't know what to call them. I've been writing this thing recently and, and I've been calling them diversificationists because I don't have any mm-hmm. other word for them. Because they're just people that believe that the economy, back then they believed that the economy shouldn't just be coal mining and you had to diversify it and create these jobs that were like teaching miners how to code or program or whatever um but what Mm -hmm. that did when you brought those two groups together it completely neutralized their effectiveness to change things from a political uh from a political angle um and it brought people into this world that was highly guarded you know highly gate kept and and shut democratic movement out of it um, because that wasn't the point. The, I mean, like, the, since the war on poverty ended, it has just, in all of these places, it has just been more and more movement away from getting people together to under... Because that's what happened in the war on poverty. They brought people together to start sharing their grievances, and it soon... Ba- it had a uh, the negative effect of what they intended. 
and you had people protesting and demanding better lives and better situations. And, and ever since that happened, they're like, we cannot do that anymore. We have to have solutions that shut people out of democratic uh, cooperation and political action and instead slot them into these individualized ro- roles within, you know, expert driven, uh, you know, tech hubs and in these other these other areas. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, th- this is a perfect example of that to me. It's just like, you're right. It's capitalizing on a problem that exists and offering a solution that is similar to the problem, but it tweaks, it's tweaked enough to make it look like it's a solution. But it's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... Um, yeah, it's, yeah, you're right. It's like the whole Just Transition movement is like... It's like the arch example of all that i don't know man i just got i got i got in such a bad way last night thinking about like i don't know the brooks Smiths of the world and all these like sort of like louisville gentrifiers that like made their fortunes in like surety bonds in eastern kentucky and the coal mines and now have like gone back under the guise of like Oh, we're gonna, you know, I've made, I've made my life, you know, my fortune, my career off this place, and I feel like that I've, you know, need to give something back. And then what do they do in the end? Is they just like, like get in on where the federal money's at, get in on where like the, uh, you know, venture capital money is at, in terms of like the appearance of doing good in a place. And then they go to where it can work, but they don't adjust their narrative. You know what I mean? Yeah. They go. They they move that whole operation from Pike County to Moorhead, <laughs> and it's like yeah, Moorhead's technically Appalachia, but it's like it's right. It's conveniently right on I sixty four and all this stuff, and it's just like oh, well, are you going to give back all that money that you raised under the guise of we're going to do this on old abandoned strip mines and all that shit, which was never going to work to be fair, but they knew that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway. I, that's the problem with just transition, and it's kind of the problem with the Green New Deal. I mean, the Green New Deal is amorphous enough, nebulous enough to where you can make it whatever you want. But right. I mean, but it does have... This, this is something that we think we all need to be aware of. It does have the potential to become what the just transition thing became, which was that... People came in and they said, here are your problems. You don't like these problems, right? Well, here's the solutions. At no point did they ask people what the solutions might be. They know, at no right. point did they ask them, well, well, what do you, what, you know, is there anything that, uh, that we can do to provide what you need? No, it was just, this is what you want. Coal mining is bad from our perspective, so we're going to end coal mining and we're going to give you this new job. At no point did they ask them if that's what they wanted. It was just like, well, th- this is what's going to happen. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, this is just this is just the order of the day. So, like, take it. And like, what they don't, and they like try to appear all altruistic and everything. But really, what it is is like these vultures know that there's like no shortage of like federal money sinking into that, so they can just like generically tailor whatever they're trying to do to have like a tie-in so they can get those funds and then they just and then like once the coast is clear and like you know the kind of like initial fervor has settled they just dip yeah (laughs) but they always like they've always done yeah 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 i mean this this is like so 
so broad too i mean remember our old clown buddy from west virginia <laughs> what's his name fuck um, patch adams <laughs> yeah our old buddy patch he's raised millions of dollars saying that he's building a hospital in west virginia for coal miners and the hospital is a clown school because <laughs> laughter is medicine <laughs> Uh, There's wow. just no way you you can't make this up. Wow, Tanya! Now I can never watch Patch Adams the same way again. Oh my God! Thanks for ruining Patch Adams for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No heroes. This episode reminds me of that episode we did on, um, no one agency should have all that power. I don't remember the number, but it reminds me of that episode where like venture capitalists and technocrats see a, a host of problems. And their approach to it is kind of like terraforming Mars, you know? They'll, they'll, like, inject a little bit of venture capital there, inject a little bit of grant money here. And then, like, oh, it'll all add up in the end to a, a new restoration economy. They slap some weird-ass name on it like that and expect everyday people to walk around being like, I'm living in the restoration economy. And it's just, like... Creative place, maybe. Yeah, it's stuff like that, exactly. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anything else to say about the the treehouse capitalist commune slash Eastern Kentucky is falling apart? <laughs> Buddy, strange bedfellows to thread all these things together, but it, there it's is, there. There is there. They are there. Yeah, I mean, it's only a matter of time before it's all underwater well it's yeah but it's only a matter of time before like jd vance or the other venture capitalists start saying like well we gotta start doing something about these flood about this flood issue we gotta start doing something about these flood oh yeah we're about to get a technocratic solution yeah they're gonna what they're gonna start doing they're gonna start underground tunnels baby. underground tunnels they're gonna start um retrofitting trailer homes into like boats so be like so your boat will just float downstream and so you know if you get what swept oh away my God. you can just houseboats <laughs> fucking houseboats like oh you used to live in the 41858 zip code in whitesburg well now you live in hazard there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> Oh my god, that actually sounds kind of cool. That would be kind of tough. Shit, shit. Um, I would kind of like to live in a houseboat. Oh, I've literally thought about buying a houseboat on North Lake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I would. I just don't know how I have dogs. What do you do about your dogs when you live in a houseboat? You bring I mean, them with you. you. Take them up on the dock and walk them over to some grass and take them out <laughs> when at potty time you just gotta go load up in the boat there you go um there you go well, well gang um i've got to run um but uh hope you enjoyed the episode this week we're over time terrence anyway, loves so. to just drop all the worst possible things on us and then say well gotta go eat lunch guys that, you know that is I, not- I gotta go eat lunch <laughs> i'm with him on this <laughs> that is very not true tanya you know what i feel like most of the time 
Every time someone accuses us of being blackpilled, it's usually they they accuse me of doing it. But if you look back at the vast majority of episodes, <laughs> it's usually Tom. It's usually the most, the most I, like fucking. <laughs> I'm usually the one that has some way to tie it together in a in a poignant, inspiring way. <laughs> Well, I we crossed. I am not crossed. I am not by nature. Do what? We crossed at some point. Yeah, we did. We I've crossed. Become, at some point. I was very optimistic at one point in my life, and this just that's over. <laughs> that's yes, gone. Yeah, that's gone. I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic, um, but I do. I just maybe quite haven't figured out how to do a podcast without. <laughs> I, the thing about talking for an hour is that you can't just stop in the middle of the stream and say, all right, well, now we're going to go in a different direction. Sorry. That's just not how conversations work. You got to follow things through to their natural end point. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. That's it. You do a good job steering this ship, Terrence. <laughs> Thank right over the floodwaters. That's right. That's right. Well, if you would like to um, donate to flood relief, like I said, we'll put a link in the episode description. Um, if you would like to donate to our Patreon, you can go to Patreon p a t r e o n dot com slash Trailbilly Workers Party and sign up there. We've had some good episodes on there recently that I recommend you go check out. Oh, we also we had a new segment on the Patreon recently. So if you're interested, yeah. if you're curious, if you're kind, present, and curious like the Treehouse residents, go sign up for the <laughs> Patreon. That's the take. That's the takeaway from all this. See, we were just uh, yeah, we were doing the same thing this guy is. We're trying to make money. That's off right. Of your curiosity, off, off your curiosity and loneliness. That's correct. Um, so anyways, go to the Patreon. Thanks for listening this week. Um, and we will see you over at the Patreon in a few days. So have a good rest of the week. We'll see you later. See you, friends. Bye.